Welcome to Faith Presbyterian Church and the memorial service of Larry Crowder. Uh, if you have cell phones, please turn those off. It's easy to forget that. Uh, there are really three purposes why we're gathered here today. The first is to remember and honor Larry Crowder and his life. The second is to worship. God is the giver of life, and he is the one who gives hope of eternal life. And so we're here to worship him because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die so that we would not suffer an eternal death. And thirdly, it is rare in our world that we have to think about our own mortality. Uh, Larry was just here a few weeks ago and is now gone. And our world tries to distract us often from thinking about the fact that we will all die. And so it's good and it's right to pause and to think that uh, one day we too will end this life. And so it's a, funerals are a precious time to us, not, not to be morbid, not to be sad, but to, to remember that this world is not all there is. And so uh, if we could just remember that, and here is the call to worship coming from John eleven twenty five. Jesus declares, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. We live in a, a difficult and trying world, but you are the one who's conquered sin and death, and we praise you for that. And Father, you are also the one who comforts us as we lose loved ones. We thank you for the people that are here and we ask that your spirit might minister to each heart individually, that you might give special comfort to Kathy and Megan, but Lord, that you would direct our hearts to you and enable us to love you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. You should have a hymnal uh, below you in the seats in front of you, and we are going to sing This Is My Father's World. Uh, most of you know Larry loved the outdoors, and so we thought this would be an appropriate hymn to sing. So it's number 111, and if you would, all rise, and we will sing it together. This is my father's world. Oh, 
seated. The scripture reading comes from Philippians 3, 7 through 14. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection." And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained of this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. May God bless the reading of his holy word. If you would, join with me in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, we give you praise. You are good, you are almighty, you are faithful, you are patient and kind. You know how to comfort those who are hurting. You know how to care for those who are weak. And Father, you also know how to save those who come to you. Lord, we are needy people. We don't love you. Our propensity is to love ourselves more than you. But we ask that you might forgive us, that you might cleanse us, and you might restore us to you. Father, we are thankful that even in the midst of death, we can be thankful. Without the death of Christ, we could not have any hope. And I am thankful that Jesus spoke the words that he did to those whom he knew and loved. I ask this day, Father, that you would give comfort to everyone who is hurting, that you would draw near to them and draw them near to you. I pray particularly that you would wrap your arms around Kathy and Megan. Lord, I ask that you might fill our hearts with joy 
because of the hope that we have that Larry is with you today. I just thank you for this family. I thank you for everybody that's here. And we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I get started, a dear friend of mine who's here today sent me a song uh, literally just a few hours ago, and she told me not to read it yet, but I'm like my father, I'm pretty stubborn, and I don't listen, so I did. Um, And the lyrics really stuck with me, so I wanted to read a portion of that to you guys. Uh, I found peace in the river, I found peace by quiet streams, and I found peace on the mountain, I found peace in fields of green. And I found peace in the desert, and I found peace in raging waves, and I found peace in the valley. I found peace in what you said. Oh, and I can finally breathe again. I can finally breathe again. My dad, for those of you who don't know, I'm Megan. I'm Larry's one and only daughter. But my dad, when he decided to stop chemo, told me he was at peace. And those lyrics just reminded me of that. Hey, baby. (laughs) So, crying made my dad uncomfortable. So for you, Dad, I'm going to try my best not to ugly cry. A perfect example was my wedding day. As I'm walking down the aisle, ugly crying, and those of you who have seen it, it's pretty bad. (laughs) Gasping for breath, and it's time to give me away. My dad whispers to my now husband, Ryan, great googly moogly. And even though he didn't say it, I'm sure he was thinking, she's yours to deal with now. (laughs) I had the privilege of sharing most of what I wrote today with my dad during his last few days with us here on earth. As I told him, I don't understand why we save all the good words until after someone is gone. It doesn't make sense to me. To know my dad is to love my dad, but also want to occasionally strangle his neck. Anyone who knew my dad knew that he was stubborn down to his core, and I can say that because the apple didn't fall far from the tree, but he loved big. He would give the shirt off his back to help someone whom he loved or cared for. And even though my dad wasn't known for his patience, he waited on my notoriously late mother for 41 years, and he hated to be late. That is love, ladies and gentlemen. My dad was an ex-pool shark and contractor by trade, a fisherman by hobby, and a mediocre poker player. My dad loved to explore and loved a good adventure. He taught me that there is so much beauty in the world, and it would be a shame not to see and explore, and that the world is truly my oyster. 
Thanks to my dad's love for adventure, as a family, we visited 12 U.S. national parks and one in Canada, and he visited one more without us. And I vow to continue the tradition and check many more off the list with my family. This next part, I had to, I read some of it to him, but not all of it, because he probably wouldn't let me say it. But on one particular trip, we decided to hike down into Canyon de Chez. And once we got down to the bottom, nature called for Dad, and he told us that he needed to go on by himself. Mom and I didn't think anything about it, but he was gone for a while. There weren't any porta potties down there, and there certainly wasn't a visitor center. Being the dramatic person that I am, I panicked. I thought he'd been eaten by bears, bit by a rattlesnake, or sold to the Indians, or something terrible had happened to him. And I immediately thought to myself, What on earth am I going to do without my dad? Well, here I am, thinking the same thing. I feel utterly lost without him. Pull it together, Megan. My dad was the handiest man I know. He could fix almost anything. He almost, or he always knew the answer to all my questions and gave pretty solid advice. My dad was like what I like to call a modest genius. He would sit and watch Jeopardy and get at least 85% correct and sometimes even closer to 100%. He taught me how to tie my shoes. He taught me how to fish. He's the reason that I love water. He taught me how to appreciate good music, and he loves some music, let me tell you that. And even though I didn't always appreciate his taste, I learned to love some of the same artists as him and we went to several concerts together. Those are some special times that I will always cherish. My dad was my biggest fan, and he always knew how to make me feel loved. Words of affirmation is my predominant love language, and he always knew the right words to say when I needed to hear them the most. He told me quite frequently, you're a good mom. And to a new mother, that is the best compliment you can ever get because I personally felt like I wasn't doing anything right, and I still do most days. My dad, as you all know, was one of a kind. To those of you who knew and loved my father, I owe you my heartfelt gratitude and utmost appreciation. His friends from childhood and on into adulthood, his dog party friends, his friends from the barber shop his poker buddies, his fishing buddies, and all my friends that love my dad, my in-laws and extended family, my faith church family, and all the friends he met along the way, each and every one of you, or he loved each and every one of you like family. I know it would mean so much to him to see you all gathered here today, and if he could be here, I'm sure he would say, enough about me, let's get on to the good stuff. As Mike said earlier, memories are the good stuff. He lives on in each of us and our memories that we have for him or with him. For me, those are abundant, and I vow to keep those memories alive. I will always remember him when I'm telling my daughter, buckle up, buttercup. I will always remember how he answered the phone, hello? <laughs> I will always remember, love you, girl. 
and how one of the last things he said to me was, I love my Maggie Poo. I will always remember the first time he held his granddaughter and the way his face lit up when he said, love you, Pop Pop, and every time he saw her. I always remember how annoyed he would get when I stuck my finger in his ear when I was walking behind him. <clears throat> Can you tell I'm immature? I'll always remember fighting over radio stations to the point to where we would sit in silence. <laughs> Stubborn. I will always remember him when I smell sawdust. I will always remember him when I attempt to use a power tool, again, attempt, and make sure to put it back where I got it from. I could go on and on and on about all the memories I'm blessed to have had with my father. There will not be a day that goes by that I will not think of him. I love you, Dad, and I miss you dearly. I know that you're up there making sure the streets of gold are up to Larry Crowder's standards and checking out all the trout streams. I also know that you're watching over us and you are all around us, even though we can't see you. And to you all, as cliche as it sounds, I urge each and every one of you to cherish the moments with those you love. Don't take them for granted. Because you truly never know which moment will be your last. Thank you. Say
I consider Larry Crowder to be my friend, even though I have not known him as long or as well as you here today. I didn't grow up with him. I've never gone fishing with him. We do share a common love of carpentry, but I've never worked with him. I've not listened to bluegrass with him or traveled across the country with him exploring national parks. In fact, before just a few weeks ago, I had only had a few brief conversations with Larry when I happened to stop by and see Clark Irwin, and they used to work a lot together. And so I got to know him through Clark. But in the two weeks before Larry died... I had the privilege of meeting with him four times. Now, many of you don't know me, and that's fine. I'm the pastor of Ryan and Megan and Eleanor. And so Megan had asked our church to pray for Larry really over the course of a year or two, a while. And so we had been praying for him. And one specific prayer that we prayed was that Larry would believe in Jesus Christ. Now, if you knew Larry, and I know most of you do, he did not go to church. In our conversations together, he told me that he was baptized as a young boy. But like many in our day, he had found Christianity hard to accept. As Larry grew weaker... Megan grew more and more concerned for him, concerned for his eternal soul. And she asked me if I would be willing to meet with him, and I said as long as Larry was open to that, I would be glad to. Now, as a pastor, I meet with a lot of people towards the end of their lives. I consider it really a sacred honor to do so. Meeting with those who are close to death, to the end of their lives, really, in a sense, brings you closer to eternity than you'll ever be here in this life. But it's not too often that I am asked to meet with someone who doesn't already have a faith in Christ. But from the first moment that I walked into Larry's living room, I knew that he wanted me to be there. He was weak, but he was smiling. I wasn't really sure how alert he would be, but he was very alert. He had, the week before, endured some very difficult days. But while I was with him over the last week and a half, he was very lucid in every conversation that I had with him. We talked about many things. I learned of his compassion toward American Indians. He told me, plainly of his disappointment with religion in the church. We talked about common books that we had read. And it didn't take me long to learn that if I had known Larry longer, I would have liked him. We'd have gotten along really well. In the midst of that conversation, every one of those conversations, I asked Larry if he would mind if I shared with him what I believed about life and death in life after death. And I have no idea what was going on inside of his head at that time, 
But he just smiled and said, you go right ahead. And I want to share with you as best I can, I'm not, uh, I don't have any photographic memory, but as best I can, some of the things that we talked about. The world tells us that death is a natural part of life. It's just a, another cycle that we go through. But the Bible doesn't see it that way. The Bible sees death as a terrible enemy. One that was thrust upon this world because of evil. And at its heart, evil is selfishness. We care more about our own happiness than we do about the happiness of others. And we care more about ourselves than we do God. When we look at the history of the world, it's not hard to see the effects of our selfishness in wars and cruelty and oppression. And Larry was right there with me tracking. He was definitely disturbed by the evils of the world. But while we admit to the evils of the world out there, it is much more difficult to admit the selfishness that lives in our own heart. I took some time to admit my own sins to Larry. Explained to him how at one time I had thought myself to be a good person. How I was not like those others who were cruel and selfish. But then God had opened my eyes to see that I too was selfish. And I too could hurt other people because of my selfish behavior. It was in that time in my life when I had hurt other people that I began to think about Jesus. Like Larry, I had grown up in church. But I thought that God had loved me because I was good. But the Bible teaches that no one is good enough. If we were good enough, then there would be no reason for Jesus to die on the cross. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, and I'll add in there, the world of selfish people, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, Jesus is unique. He was the one man who has ever lived who never did a selfish act, always did what was good and right and loving. He always served others, and he always did the will of his Father in heaven. And what is more, he, was willingly, he willingly went to the cross to pay the penalty for the selfish acts of other people. Unbelievable. And what is more, he, knowing that he would die and knowing that he would rise up from the dead, he spoke to people who were following him before he died and said things like this. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. I told Larry that death is a great mystery to us, but it is not a mystery to Jesus. He's the one person that went into the grave and then came out again. He's the one person that experienced death and then ripped it apart and said, you will not have victory. 
And so as this one who's conquered sin and death, and as this one who is the Son of God, he is the only one who has the promise, has the authority to promise that even though we die, if we believe in him, we will live. If I told you that, you could just throw it out the door. But if Jesus says that, you can take it to the bank. I read to him from Philippians 3, which was the scripture passage that I read just a moment ago, and we'll read portions of it again. You see, this passage in Philippians was written by a guy named Paul. And Paul spent a good time of his life hating Jesus. He spent a good time, a good part of his life trusting in his own goodness, thinking that he would make heaven be, by being better than others. And then one day, the resurrected Jesus showed up to him, and it changed everything. One meeting with Christ changes Paul's life forever. Jesus opens Paul's eyes to his own sinfulness. Before this time, he thought he was good. Listen to what he says. Whatever gain I had, whatever good things I could put on this side of my account, I count as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus. I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. If you know anything about Paul's life, he had a much better life before he believed in Jesus than after he believed in Jesus. But he says, it doesn't matter. I count them all rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Before Paul had met Jesus, he trusted in his own righteousness, his own goodness. But after that day, he would only trust in the righteousness of Christ. Paul explains that we receive Jesus' righteousness by faith alone. You are trusting in what Jesus has done for you, not what you have done for him. It is an admission that if you are going to experience eternal life, that you need Christ's righteousness. It is trusting in his work to make you right with God. At the end of Jesus' statement, in John 11, he said, Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked the question, Do you believe this? And so I asked Larry, Do you believe And I said to him, listen, it doesn't matter what you tell me. That's not the point. Do you believe this? And he nodded 
his head and said, I believe that. And my heart leapt with joy. We talked a little bit more. I could see he was getting tired. I asked him if it would be okay if I came again. He smiled and said, you can come anytime you want. We prayed together, and I left. I had the privilege of meeting with him three more times. One of those, John Waters, he's here today. He was there at one of those. Every time I met with him, we'd go through a different passage of Scripture. Even as I, he grew weaker, I could see him visibly perk up every time that we came together. And I asked him each time if there was anything that he wanted me to pray for. And the first time, he said, clearly, would you pray for my, my family? So I did. But in that second meeting, I can't remember if that's the time that I was with John, he specifically said, pray for me. I prayed for his physical healing, but then I prayed for his eternal soul. I prayed that he would know that his sins were forgiven and that through faith in Christ, he would be righteous before God and ready to meet his God face to face. And I distinctly remember rising up from praying and looking at him and just seeing tears stream down his face. Jesus is able to save people whenever he wants. He saved one of the thieves hanging on a cross. But to be honest, I'm not sure that I've met anyone that has consciously not believed and in those last few days truly believed in Christ. But I have every hope that Larry did truly believe in Jesus Christ. God is the judge, not me. But I knew Larry only for a short while in this life. But because of my common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I look forward to getting to know him better in eternity. If you know Jesus Christ, I hope these words encourage you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I hope my words encourage you. There is salvation in no other name. Only Jesus can forgive your sin. Only Jesus has overcome death. If you have reasons for not believing in him, I suspect Larry had plenty too. They're not worth holding on to. In the end, it is pride alone that keeps us from believing in Jesus Christ. My prayer is that each one of us here today would trust in Jesus Christ, admitting your need of him, and knowing that his promise is true, that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, even though you die, you will live. Amen. We're going to sing one more hymn. There's one called, It Is Well With My Soul. It's number 691 in your hymnal. Now, many of you may not know this hymn, and that's okay. And if you can't sing, sing along, don't know it, that's fine. But just understand that the man who wrote this hymn had just lost all of his children in a, in a uh, ship accident. And he, uh, he was 
grieving deeply. And this is what he sang or wrote. So let's rise and let's sing together.
I'm going to give you the blessing of God. This is a blessing that was given in the Old Testament, but it is a blessing that was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the one who's done the hard work so that God's blessing can be poured out on all who trust in him. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. If you would just be seated for a moment, I have a couple instructions for dismissal. And then we'll have a postlude. So in just a moment, you're going to get a privilege of hearing a bagpipe play. Uh, it can be outside here, hopefully, in just a moment. Um, but as I step down off this, I'm going to console and give a word of encouragement to the family. You just sit quietly and experience the bagpipe. They, after I get done uh, uh, speaking with them and giving them a hug, they will, they will quietly go out to the, the foyer on the right here. And they'll be there to re- as a sort of receiving line. Uh, as soon as they go out, I will start sending you out, you know, row by row. And if you are able to stay for a while, you just go straight, skip the Crowder family, just go straight back into the left into the fellowship hall, and they will, they will visit you there. They'll be like receiving there in the fellowship hall. If you have to leave immediately after this service, you just head right towards the... Uh, the, the, the family that will be standing there and they can receive you on the way out. But that way it will keep from getting clogged up. You know, some people will be um, able to just go to the fellowship hall and you'll see them there, the family there. So there's some refreshments and things that are there. So um, I'm looking at the guy with the bagpipe and he is, seems like he's almost ready. So 